Amen. Good morning, One Church. Good morning. I really did not know where to begin. Um, I do not know where to begin. I'm a woman who likes to be prepared. I was a girl guide, promised to do my duty, promised to serve the king, queen, um, and to do it all right. And I like to be prepared. I like to have things in order. I like to have my word. I've mentioned this before. Brother Jeff comes. He has his folder. He's got all his papers sorted. He knows what he's doing. I'm a woman who likes to know what's going on. I have tried to write the message. I tried. I had a plan that by the 4th of July, it would be done. I would go on holiday. It would be wonderful. I would be relaxed. I'd come back and I would deliver the word. But um, I think, as I said to Steve yesterday, my plans kind of went by the wayside. And I know God is trying to do something with me. And it's not, I'm not standing here because I want people to, I want to speak of myself. But I feel that God is using me to demonstrate something. And it brings tears to my eyes because I'm out of my comfort zone. Which is ultimately good. I feel like um, probably one of those eaglets that are in their nest and they've been very comfortable and they've been very happy and they've got on and it's all been fine. And then the mother eagle starts to take the twigs out of the nest and eventually she will shove the bird out and even I'm standing behind here. And then eventually they shove the bird out, the eagle out, because the eagle needs to learn to spread its wings and it needs to learn to fly. And God obviously has more confidence in me, perhaps, than I do in him, never mind in myself, and that's why I cry. But I'm out of my comfort zone. So I thank you for your grace. God is more than able. He's more than able. So I pray that through this morning, through whatever he is doing in me, that you will be blessed I pray that he will give us ears to hear what he has to say. I pray that he will indeed speak through me and that I will be a vessel that allows him to do just that. I pray that he will grant that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we will receive the revelation that he wants to bring. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. So whilst I'm in my comfort zone, I have got some crutches. As you know, we are in our sermon series, which is the armor of God, and that it's concerned with the protection that God gives us, the armor he's given to protect us. And that's as believers who are in a spiritual battle, and as we know, we are in a battle. Steve spoke of it last week, but we are on the victory side, and that is good news. That is the good news. And we have had five messages so far. I don't know if anyone can tell me, remind me of what those messages have been. We've been speaking about the armor of God. Sorry? We've had the belt of truth. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. Sorry? Feet of readiness, shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Something else. Pardon? Shield of faith, that's right. So we've had the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, 
We've had our feet fitted with a readiness to announce the good news of peace. We've had the shield of faith. We've had the helmet of salvation. And today, we have the sword of the Spirit. And like I said, I did try to write it all down, but I never got to do that. So things will happen as they happen. We have a sword. We have a sword. And many people have seen me come to church with this sword. And many people have asked me why I carry this sword. I carry this sword because it is a reminder to me that I'm a warrior. I'm a child of God, but I'm a warrior. And it's a reminder to me that we are in a battle. It's a reminder to me that I can pull my sword out and I can use it because God has said we are to use it. It is a reminder to the powers and the principalities that I know who I am and I know what I'm supposed to do. So I have walked with it in my bag and people have seen and some people have asked questions and today some people have had the answer for the first time. But many years ago, I began to learn about the sword of the, or the, the armor of God. And um, I'm a woman who kind of likes... I don't know, props is the wrong word, but analogies and, th- and things, help, things that help me to remember what's going on. And I used to get dressed in the mornings, and I used to put on my clothes, and as I put on my clothes, I would put on the belt of truth, and as then said, my loins would be girded with truth. I would put on my breastplate of righteousness, which covered me in front, behind, and all around. And I would have my feet fitted with the readiness to announce the good news of peace. And I would hold up the shield of faith with which to deflect all the fiery darts of the evil one. And I would use my sword, my sword, which is the word of God. I would have the helmet of salvation fitted in place. And I would pray in the spirit on every occasion. I would pray without ceasing. I would pray with all perseverance and supplication. But I would have these things. And in those days, what I had as I went to work was this, was my umbrella. So as I went down the road to the train station, I had my umbrella in my hand, which was my sword. And what I was doing was I was getting used to having the feeling of a sword in my hand as I walked. And I would go to the station and I would recite the elements of the armor. And so as I went through my day, I would be thinking about the things and the pieces that I was using. But it was when I went to Chessington Zoo with my nephews that suddenly there it was, there were the swords. And I thought, you know what, I need to get one of those. It's a long time ago since I've had them because they were probably three and four then. They're now in their 30s. But these are the swords. These are the swords that remind me of what is going on. So today, as you may have guessed, the message is focusing on the sword of the Spirit. And as I've said, I've had to do some wrestling with the message myself. I had spoken about the sword of the Spirit before, so it should be easy. But the person, the nature of the person that I have been, for some reason, it becomes difficult. But if I was going to give this a title, the title would be Mind Your Language. And there are two questions that I have been considering, and one is the extent to which the sword of the Spirit enables us to ward off attacks from the enemy. And the other is, what language are you speaking So we're going to start by reading the scripture. So if you could put the scripture on the screen, please. And so from the New King James Version, it says, Finally, my brethren, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Praise the Lord. So thinking about verse 17, which is where it says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The focus is on the sword of the Spirit. Now a basic dictionary definition of a sword is that it is a weapon with a long metal blade and a hilt. So a weapon with a long metal blade and a hilt, and I'm sure you know that. But this weapon is designed to inflict, it's, 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 a, it's a thing that is designed or used to inflict bodily harm. It is a weapon. And of the items of armor, it is the only weapon that is described as being offensive. It is used for thrusting, for thrusting or striking. So you thrust, you push suddenly, you push violently. You make your way forcibly. And I have the image of like cutting through, I suppose like Indiana Jones or somebody cutting through, you know, the thickness. It's cutting through, it's making your way, it's being forcible. You strike, you deliver a blow to. You come into forcible contact with something, you attack it, you hit it. The sword of the spirit, it is a weapon to be used to inflict harm. It is not for being here. Indeed, it's not for being left there. It's not for being by your side, simply. It is an item to be used. It is an item to thrust. It is an item to strike. We are to do something with it. And through the Bible, there are many uses of the word sword, and often it's used in judgment. Babylon, I believe, was the sword of the Lord. God used Babylon to judge the Israelites. They hadn't been doing what he wanted them to do. So he used Babylon to sort them out. We know that when Christ returns, he will have a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. He will judge the nations. He will judge the peoples. The sword. In the, in the scripture of Ephesians 6, verse 17, the word sword is a Greek word, or the Greek word for it is makira, makira. And that's a knife 
It says it's like a dirk, which people from Scotland may be familiar with. As some will say, it has no particular distinction to a gladius, which is known to be the, the sword that a Roman soldier used. But uh, one scholar describes an akira of being similar size to this, in that it's about 20, 19 to 22 inches long. It's quite light, but it has a long, sharp blade. And actually, when you start looking at swords and things, there's lots of different types of swords that you can have and different types of swords that you can use. And even the sharp two-edged sword that will come out of Christ's mouth in Revelation is actually, I believe it's wrong fire is the Greek word, which talks, it speaks of a saber, so that's actually long. But swords can be sharp on one side, but this one is sharp on two sides. The set was lightweight and fairly easy to carry. And again, it was used for close-range thrusting. And the scripture tells us, Ephesians 6, talking about the armor, is we wrestle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities, the rulers of this age. We wrestle. It is close combat. It is close combat. So you need to have your sword ready for thrusting. You need to have your sword ready for hitting. This is an enemy that wants to take you out. And when Malcolm spoke, he spoke of the fact that the enemy, he is, he is not going to come at you in, um, clothed in a, red, in a red outfit with a pitchfork. You're not going to know that it's him, but he wants to take you out. He wants to stop you from achieving your destiny. And he will use whatever means he can. He's not looking to be nice to you. He will pretend to be nice to you. But he doesn't want to be nice to you. He wants to cause you harm. He wants to cause you damage. So you need to not be afraid to take your sword and use it. Thrust it. Use it to strike. Because the enemy is out to strike you. It is a kill or be killed moment. And I believe that the Lord wants you to understand that it is a kill or be killed moment. We are not called to sit and to lie down and to say, oh well, never mind. I got hit, it hurt, oh dear, my head. I don't think that's what God is saying. He is saying, I have given you a sword and it is an instrument for you to use, to thrust, to cause harm, to do damage against the forces, against the powers of wickedness that are coming against you. It is not something soft and gentle. It is something that you need to use. You need to pick it up. Do not be afraid. We're told, as I say in the scripture, that the sword of the Spirit, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is the word of God. This here is the word of God. These here are the word of God. Bibles here. Word of God. Word of God. If anyone needs to borrow one, please do come. But again, when you look at the Greek words in the scripture that speaks of the sword of the spirit being the word of God, the word used is rhema, rhema. And it refers to a word, I mean, I don't think we're supposed to be bogged down with the differences between the words. There is a rhema word, there is a logos word, there are two Greek words for word. But the word in this passage is rhema. And what it means in this context is that you need to have a word in season. This is full of truth. This whole thing is full of truth. But in a particular situation, you need a rhyme word. You need a word that applies to your specific situation. So you need to know this 
intimately in order for the Lord to whisper to you, to bring to your remembrance the word that you need. And I'm reminded of exams. Of exams. You need to do the homework. You need to do the revision. You need to have the information in you so that it can come to your remembrance. The Lord isn't going to do it. He, there are cases where he will give you a download because you're in a, a specific situation and you need to know something that you can't possibly know. He will give you a download. But generally speaking, he's not going to do the work for you. You have to read it yourself. You have to read it yourself. You have to understand it yourself. You have to know it yourself so that he can speak to you. You also have to listen to hear what he's saying, because there might be five scriptures, there might be ten scriptures that could apply to your situation, but there's only one scripture you need right now, and that scripture will do the thrusting, it will do the hitting, it will do what needs to be done to push the enemy back and to enable you to stand, as opposed to, well, I just fell over and I just laid down and said, walk over me. He's not called us to that. There are times where we are to be humble, but to be humble, Jesus, we know, was a humble man, but he didn't just lie down and say, walk over me. There was a purpose to what he was doing when he went to the cross. But otherwise, we need to use the sword and we need to thrust with it. We need to take it up. The word of God, as I'm saying, is described as many, many things. Generally, it is God's revelation to us. And of course, we have Jesus. And again, as I say, there are different Greek words used for things, but essentially Jesus is the word of God. He is the living word of God. He is God's revelation to us. He encompasses everything. There are lots of different words for God's word. Sometimes it's referred to as the law. It's the Torah. Sometimes it's testimony. Sometimes it's way precepts. There are loads of different words. The word is delivered in different ways. We can hear the word. The word can be spoken. We can see a vision. It's God speaking to us. Sometimes it's written. We speak of the scriptures, the Bible. It has many characteristics. It's talked of as being like a fire. It is pure. It is like silver. It is true. It is light. It is spoken of as a seed. It's wisdom. It's creative. It endures. I could go on. There are lots and lots of different ways that the word of God is, is described as an, and its characteristics. But again, if you know the word, if you read the word, you will get that. And I think it's very difficult to plumb the depths of God and to plumb the depths of his word because there is just so much to him and so many layers. Our response is to obey his word. We should be grateful that he speaks to us. There was a season of time when God did not speak. People weren't listening. God didn't speak. We should be grateful that he does speak to us. He has mercy. He has mercy. And in trying to prepare for the message, as I say, I have spoken on the word of God before, and I had it nicely written down, and it helped. It helped me. Um, but one of the things I felt that was coming through quite strongly this time was that this is the sword of the Spirit. And yes, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, but it was the sword of the Spirit. And it was the Spirit that was almost beckoning to me. Beckoning to me. And I don't even really understand entirely. But it was just saying, it's the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit. And so all I can say is that he wants us to know that this is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit has a significant role to play with this sword. 
He is the power we know. I think in the Amplified Version, it says that, that the sword of the Spirit is the sword that the Spirit wields. He wields this sword. He wields it. He is the power behind it. We know many things about the Holy Spirit. He is the one who empowers. He is the one who endorses. He is the one who gives instruction and teaching. He is the one who guides us. He is our leader, our, our guide. He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's here to do many things. And in fact, he's a very busy man, as it were. He's very, a busy part of the Trinity. God gives the command. He speaks. Jesus puts it into action, but the Holy Spirit goes and does it. You have one, you have them all. And we have the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Therein you have the Trinity all together. He's behind this. He's behind this. He drives the Spirit. He drives the sword. His name is Ruach. In the Old Testament, Ruach is the Greek word. He is the wind. And we've had winds, winds blowing, warm winds blowing. But in the Greek, it's pneuma. He is the breath. And as we speak, he is the breath. So he is the one who is speaking the word. He is whispering the word. He's bringing it to you. Do you have it in you? Are you using it? I think there's an aspect of needing to listen, to really, really listen to him and to hear what he is saying. I think there's a place where we do really need to connect with the Holy Spirit. To not carry on in our own strength. To not carry on without him. To think that we can do it. And perhaps it's entirely a message for me. But I'm sure it's not. The Holy Spirit wants to be a part of everything that we do. We need him for everything that we do. We need to be filled with him. We need to be moving. As he says, move. Come this way. He'll show us the short way. He'll show us the easy way. We can make it difficult for ourselves, or we can make it easy. Will we give him the time and the space in our lives? Will we give him the time and space in our days? Will we give him the time and space in our thinking and in our minds? We've sung, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are here. And we thank you, Father, that you desire for us to know you more. And I pray that we will allow you to do more in us and that we will not be afraid to come because you are our friend. We've sung good, good father. Whatever it is, it's not bad for us. It's good for us. But we just need to trust you. And I pray that we will increasingly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As I've said, as far as attacks from the enemy goes, the enemy, our enemy is Satan. We know this. We've heard this. 
Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the liar, our adversary. It's him, the ruler of this world. He is violent. The attacks that he uses, the violence, the wiles that he uses, they are violent and harmful actions. He is devious and he is cunning. He wants to gain advantage and he is skillful. He is intentional in what he's doing. He is crafty and he will use illegal and immoral means to catch you. As I say, he wants to distract you, divert you from your God-given destiny. He doesn't want you to walk in holiness. He doesn't want you to worship God. We have to remember that he is a defeated foe. What Jesus did on the cross means that he's defeated for a defeated foe. So whatever power he has is power that we give him in our lives. It's us like saying, well, you know, come in, sit down, take a seat. You know, one of the first prayer meetings that I went to, well... Um, there was a guy there, a man, quite a large man. But that largeness kind of gave him an authority and he had a voice, a deep, booming voice, and he was praying. And he spoke about the fact that, you know, he gave an analogy, and I may have shared this before with people, that, you know, the enemy is, it's like the one that you go home, you've been at work all day, might be Thursday, so you've been at work all day for four days already. You come home on Thursday evening, and in your, in your living room, there's a person sat down with a remote control, cans of drink open there, you know, flicking channels, eating your biscuits and eating your food. And you say, oh, it's no problem. Can I get you something else? This is the enemy in your house, okay? Are you likely to just say, well, that's fine. Can I get you something else? Is there anything else you'd like to, you'd like to have? Are we entertaining him like a guest? Or would you be more a case of, who are you? What are you doing here? You need to get out and you need to leave. Because I think if I went to my house, I think I'd be fairly surprised, who are you? I might need boldness and courage because have they, what weapon have they got or whatever. But it's a case of, I don't know who you are. What are you doing here? My husband's seen me with cats. Get off my land. Now, I know people like cats and dogs and whatever, but it's get off my land. This is, you don't live here. You don't pay rent. You need to go, okay? They want birds. They want whatever. But it's like you don't live here. This is not your space. Do what you need to do in your house. This is not what you do here. This is not your space. And other people, when people are in your space, it's like this isn't yours. If someone steals from you, what do you do? Say, it's okay, it's fine, have it. Now, to an element, God might say, well, yeah, let that one take that one. But generally, no, you want my handbag? No. You're trying to steal the old lady's handbag? No. No, no, no. You need to get your sword out and you need to thrust it and you need to hit with it and you need to say, get up, get up, get out. There's a book called Pigs in the Parlor. You go home in your kitchen, have you got pigs in there? Why would you let them stay? It's your space for cooking your food. It's not a farmyard. We need to think of the enemy like that because he will do things like that. When he met Jesus... In fact, I say when he met Jesus, obviously Jesus gives, is an example for us to follow. And we have the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit has led him into the wilderness. He has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he was hungry. The account in Luke tells us that through the 40 days and 40 nights, he was tested, he was tempted. And I can imagine he was, because if I fast for a day or two, 
I am probably within a few hours tempted. So I can imagine that Jesus through the 40 days probably was tested, tempted through those 40 days and 40 nights. And perhaps the account that we're given is the culmination of what was given, what was said, what was discussed. But what was the devil there to do? He was there to stop him worshipping the Lord. Three times he tried, according to Matthew. Three times he tried. Turn these stones into bread. In fact, he says, if you are the Son of God, all three occasions, if you are the Son of God, well, he was just baptized and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the first thing the devil is trumping up is, well, if you are the Son of God, he's attacking his person. Do you know who you are? Because it's very easy for us to say, well, actually, yes, I am. I am the manager here. I am the boss. I am the whatever. Because someone's trying to infer that you're not. But Jesus doesn't take that bait at all. Turn these stones into bread, he says. Well, he's hungry. Why would he not want to eat some bread? I should imagine he did. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He is aware. He is discerning to the fact that God has not asked him to turn these stones into bread. So he says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing what you asked me to do because God never said, and I'm not worshipping you. He takes him up onto a high mountain. In fact, I think he takes him next to the temple. He takes him. The devil takes him up. Now, I imagine that's a spiritual taking up. But he takes him up. He puts him on the pinnacle of the temple. It's a high place. So Jesus can be puffed up with pride. He takes him up. He sets him there. Throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Because he will give his angels charge over you. So it's said. But whilst the devil quotes the scripture, he doesn't quote all the scripture. He quotes some of it. So we need to know the word completely so that we know whether or not the enemy is bringing the right word or the wrong word. Is he to, what's he trying to tempt us to do? Let's put God to the test. Will he, will he get you? Will he give his, send his angels to keep, to keep you up in all your ways? Well, in fact, that's the bit that the devil doesn't say. But he will give his angels charge over you. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not testing him. And he quotes from the Old Testament. So often we might say, well, we don't want to read the Old Testament because that's the Old Testament and we're not under law anymore. But Jesus uses it. Now, you could say at that point, well, the New Testament wasn't written. However, he, Jesus knew the Old Testament and he used that to defeat the enemy. He used that to parry what he was saying. He says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting the Lord, Lord our God to the test. And then he takes them up on a high mountain and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. All of the kingdoms of the world. You can have all these if you bow down and worship me. You can have all these. And again, we may know and realize that obviously Jesus, if Jesus had done that, then he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. He wouldn't have had to do that. And if he didn't go to the cross, then we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be sat here. There wouldn't be salvation that we have now. So Jesus was very mindful of the kingdom. He was very aware that the devil was trying to stop him from worshiping God. He was enticing him all the time. Do this, do that. He was moving him about, putting him in different positions, showing him things, things that we can see, things that we can taste, things that we can like. He's enticing him all the time. Come this way, do this. Go on, go on. But Jesus says, no, not doing it. And he tells him, go away. Go away, he says. Go away. And so the devil goes until an opportune time. So he's going to return. Again, those words, go away, Satan. He says those, speaks those words to Peter when he's having a conversation with Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things of God. 
So again, he's very aware. He, has, he had a mission. He had a vision. He was about the kingdom. He wasn't about the moment. He was about the kingdom. Because again, it's very nice if our friends say, oh, no, don't go, don't go, stay, stay, do this, because we want to we feel loved, accepted, wanted. And we could be happy with that. But is it what God is asking you to do in the moment? What word do you have? Would you be prepared to turn around to your spouse and say, get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things of God? If I said that to you, you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with her? You know, we've got our attitudes, we've got our thoughts, we've got our feelings, but Jesus was mindful of the kingdom, and we are his followers. We are his disciples, his learners. We are to be mindful of the kingdom in everything that we do all the time, not just sometimes, not just when we feel like it, but all the time we are supposed to be thinking kingdom. What is this about? What is this about? By contrast, obviously, you have Adam and Eve in the garden. Well... The word was given to Adam, but yet the temptation came to Eve, so she had the word secondhand, but she still had clearly a responsibility. The devil comes up to her and he tempts her with something that that looks nice. It looks nice, it tastes nice. Did God really say? Well, yeah, he did, but he said this bit as well, because he said, I mustn't touch it, but okay, if she hadn't touched it, then she wouldn't have been in trouble. But that wasn't what God said. He said, don't eat of it. Do you know the word? Do you know the word? Or do you know it a little bit? But it all went badly because they didn't do the right thing. They disobeyed the word. They had the one instruction. They disobeyed. Because it looked nice. You'll be like God. They were already made in his image. They already had what they they thought they were going to gain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They already had it. But they thought they wanted something different. So we'll go with that. God didn't ask for that. So we have the word of God. We have the sword of the spirit. And in terms of the extent to which it will help us to ward off attacks from the enemy, clearly it will only help you if you take it up. If you don't take it up, it's not going to do anything. In and of itself, it is a sharp two-edged sword. In and of itself, it can do a lot of damage. But whilst it's not in my hand or in my mouth, it's going to do nothing at all. Whilst this is lying here, these books are here, they are actually doing nothing apart from lying there. And we know what they are, but unless the the word itself, it's it's living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, that's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is the power of the word. It will determine whether we are still operating in our soul, in our flesh, or whether we are in a spiritual place. And there are times when we've read the word and we kind of think, well, do you know, I don't like that bit. That bit's a bit hard, so perhaps we'll just turn the page quickly. We have to know, we have to read it and know it, but we have to study it and understand it and be able to apply it. We can have Bible studies and we can talk about it and we can think, yeah, we know that and we know that and we've got lots of knowledge and it's great. Oh, I saw that, that was good. But if we don't apply it to our lives, if it doesn't change us, then what good is it? It's living and powerful. We need to take it up. The instruction in Ephesians is take it up. So take it up and use it. Thrust it. Hit it. Strike it. Say no to the enemy. Get out of my house. Because you don't live here. You don't live here. I mean, as I'm saying, there are many ways to, to to become intimate. Because it's how do you get from A to B. 
But yes, you do need to read it. You need to study it. You need to meditate on it. You need to give the word time. You need to give God time and give the word time. And you need to apply it. You need to chew it. You need to eat it. Your physical body needs food. If you don't have food for a number of days, there is a point at which I think it will end. Might be long, lots of days, but it will end. Same as goes for your spirit. It needs food. It needs nutrients. You need to read and eat of the word regularly. Not just sometimes. Sometimes is better than no time. But if you want to be strong, if you want to grow up, and we are called to grow up, and I believe the Lord is saying to us today that we need to step up. We need to move on. It's about growth. It's about coming to a place of maturity. Now, potentially a controversial point might be that this is described as an, as an offensive weapon and the only offensive weapon in the armor. I know my husband just says there are shoes and they have greaves and things and then you can use them to hurt the enemy. But I don't think the shoe was designed to do that. They've made um, alterations to it that make it effective. But this is the one that you use to strike, to strike and to thrust with. But when Jesus is speaking to the enemy in the wilderness. As I read it, he is parrying what the devil says. And we're told the scripture says that we need to use, we need to wear the armor so that we are able to stand. And having done all, that we are able to stand. Which means we're not going backwards. It means we're not falling down, but we're standing. And he used those words and he stood and the devil left. And he'll come back at an opportune time, which we know. But as kingdom people, we're also called to advance. We're called to go forward. We're called to use the sword and go forward. And if I think, or when I've thought about it, I think, I don't know all the games there are, but in tennis, it might be the only game where you actually can score points off someone else's serve. If, for example, you have a game of football, you have a goal at this end and a goal at this end, and you might be able to defend a goal here, You've stopped them scoring, which is great, but you haven't scored one yourself. In order to score, you have to get the ball up to the other end of the pitch, and you have to kick it in the back of the net. Same with netball. I used to be a netballer. So we're seven on the pitch, on the court. You had two goals. You could defend a goal down here. You could stop the ball from going in. But to score a goal of your own, you had to get to the other end, and you had to get the ball in the net yourself. So the skill, the same ball that's being used, but the ball, some people were very good at scoring goals. In netball, only some people can score goals because of their position, but you would still have shooters who could do it every time. And you had some that would miss all the time. So some people are naturally better than others. So you have to practice with it. You have to get good at it but you also have to get to the other end. So whilst you have your sword, you may be able to parry the things that the enemy says. You may be able to send him packing because what he tried didn't work, but you haven't scored a goal yourself. You now need to move to the place where you are going forward and you are taking ground. And for me, that means you speak into situations. That means you speak in things, the world that's going on around here. We need to speak the word into situations. We need to speak life and we need not death. Because it's very easy to see things and say, oh, look at that. Isn't that a bad thing? You know, that tree, it's falling down. The branches are broken. But we need to speak life over people. We need to pray life over people. We pray the word. It will score goals, if you like. It will cause harm to the enemy. If we're thinking kingdom, we need to speak the word. 
We need to pray the word. We need to speak those things that are not as though they were. God created, he spoke and it was done. The breath came out. The Holy Spirit is very good at that. Speak life into the situation and not death. We can accept things as we know them in the world, but that is not kingdom. Jesus came out of the wilderness and he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in that, he taught people, he spoke, he preached, and he demonstrated. He demonstrated, he healed people. He healed them. That's what we're here to do. Speak life into the situation. When people are sick, we can say, oh, well, you know. And there is an aspect of, yes, we are sympathetic, we are concerned, but we need to speak life over them. We need to pray the word into them. We need to say, no, you need to get out of here. Sickness, the scripture says, oh, just look this morning, because one of the, one of the things to do is um, when you have a situation, I mean, I was saying to Malcolm, you know, our feelings, God has given us feelings. Feelings are not bad things, but they can lie to us. They can tell us things, and they, things that are not of the kingdom. They tell us where we are. And so I often try to listen to myself, what's coming out of my mouth, because that will tell me where I am. If I'm upset about something, sometimes I can't quite get my finger on it, but it's like, listen to what you're saying, and it will identify what's going on here. And then once you've identified what that thing is, and I suppose fear is, a, is an easy thing, I'm afraid of something. You know, it might take a little while to burrow down to what's actually going on, but I'm afraid. So that's when you need to get the Bible. You need to go to your concordance. You need to find your scriptures on fear, and you need to read them. But as well as reading them, you need to believe what they say. For I don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love and of a sound mind. I don't have a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of adoption as unto sons and daughters. And when you're feeling afraid and you start to read those scriptures and you start to meditate on those scriptures and you decide, I'm going to believe what it says. I might be feeling fear, but I'm going to believe what the word of God says because what he says is true. It's true. We need to take, take it on board and own it. I've said many times to, to many people, Mark 11, 23 says, if you speak to this mountain... You can tell it to be removed and to be cast into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but that you believe that what you have said will be done, then you will have those things that you say, if you believe. So if the word is true, then I can speak to that mountain and I can tell it to go and I can expect it to leave if I believe in my heart. We have Jairus's, um, Jairus said, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help me, Lord God, to believe that this thing that I'm speaking to is going to re be removed. The sickness is going to go because your word says that if I believe it, it will happen. So either the word is true or it's not. I looked at, um, I thought, let me just look up because people are, people are sick and people are being bashed. And so I thought, well, I'll just pick a scripture. I've gone to the concordance. I've looked up a scripture on sickness. And in my Bible, it's the only one that's there. But the passage, the short section says, when, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. 
So again, if it is true, and if what Jesus did for us is true, it says that he bore them. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, yes, it is true. I believe also that the kingdom is now and not yet. So there is a fullness that is yet to be received when he comes back. But if I'm going to be, if I'm sick and there's a portion of healing out here, like the Syrophoenician woman, I want to push through and I want to say, look, Lord, you took my infirmity. So it says here, you bore our sicknesses. This isn't mine. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed. And I'm speaking to the mountain and I'm telling the mountain to go. I am taking my sword and I am striking with it. And I might need to strike with it several times a day. Like we get antibiotics and they say, take the course and finish it. Two or two tablets, three times a day. Thrust with the sword. Strike with the sword for however many days it's required. Finish the course. Because obviously, again, the enemy would want us to be weary. He would want us to give up. He would want us to say, oh, do you know what? My arm's tired now. My arm's tired now. But do you want it? Do you want it? Syrophoenician woman said, I'll take those crumbs there. Many times in the Bible it says, by your faith you have been made whole. By your faith you are healed. By your faith, by your faith, by your faith. Well, Lord, please give me that faith. Find the scriptures on faith. Feed on them. Eat them. Chew them. Take them in so that you come to the place where you're saying, this is not kingdom. This is not kingdom. Now, I'm not speaking on prayer. I believe Steve's speaking on prayer next week. But it's pray the word. Speak the word. Use your sword. Take it up is what he says. It's an offensive weapon. We need to move from the position of being victims to the position of being victors. And again, a number of people I've demonstrated with, because one of the things I find with this, it's in a scabbard. And when I pull the sword out, what happens? My shoulders go back. My chest is lifted. My lungs are filled. And my space is made bigger. So where I was like this, I have now moved my stance and I have pulled it out, I have opened it up, and I am ready to lunge, and I'm ready to go forward. Now, yeah, you can do things like this. I don't think you go as far. If you do this, you go much further. Your reach is much further. Get your muscle behind it and thrust. Use the word. Take it out of its scabbard. It is no good in a drawer. It needs to be living. It needs to be in you. It needs to be filling you with life and nourishing you. If anyone wants to practice later, they are more than welcome. But I believe that that is the word of God to you today. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, in and of itself, is a highly dangerous and lethal weapon. But the extent to which it will enable you to ward off attacks from the enemy is limited to the user. You need to take it up and you need to become skilled with it. Bends it like Beckham. I'm told that he used to just kick the ball, kick the ball, kick the ball, kick the ball until he could get it in the net. And when it mattered, he got it in the net. He bent it into the net. Bends it like Beckham if that's the only thing you remember. But you need to use it so that you become skilled in it. But it's also an offensive weapon and it's not to be forgotten that you need to use it to bring the kingdom in. In Jesus' name. Amen.